Confluent of the 54th. I'm Garrett Brown. I'm Preston Brown. We're grateful to have you join us on our show today. And today we have with us Emma Missouri, and we'll let her introduce herself. So my name is Emma Missouri. That is my maiden name. I am daughter of John and Jane Missouri, and they are American citizens that had moved to the BC, Alberta area back in 67 and near Taylor. So yeah, I have lived most of my life north of the 54th. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show with us, Emma. We are really excited to talk to you. We talked to your mother first and also to your younger sister, Jessie. Do you have some early memories of the peace country? Because you were born and raised there. Well, the peace country. So my earliest memories, of course, are outside of Cleardale, Alberta, which is on Highway 64. And that's right near the BC border going towards Dawson Creek and Fort St. John. The closest real town that we had was Fairview, and that was about 45 minutes. But of course, that felt like forever as a drive back when you were a kid. Yep. So on the farm, you know, there was us five kids and mom and dad, and I'm the middle of the kids. So we lived there until I was 11 on that side of the Alberta border in the peace area. And then after that, my parents split, of course, divorced. And my dad went north of Fort St. John to between 101 and Pink Mountain called the Gundy area. Now it's called like the Township Road. And then my mom moved into Fairview. So we actually had split uh, custody between those two. So we got to see each parent for a year at a time on different sides of the border in the peace area. So we traveled along the peace all the time. Some of the earliest memories, of course, are at Cleardale. We grew up on the farm and we had cattle. We were the youngest ones. There was us three younger. And then my two older siblings, James and Kim, really helped out on the farm a lot. Where us kids were pretty little still and not much help. We were pretty good at wrecking stuff <laughs> and making a mess. Um, our dad's shop was our favorite play place. Or the rock piles, which we were not allowed to be in. Obviously. If it's dangerous, it's more exciting. And where we spent most of our time. Yeah. Um, so, well, weather is always severe out there. We didn't get the graders out as often, probably as closer to town. So, and mom drove bus, but of course she drove to Worsley, probably so she didn't have to take her kids on a daily basis because we were pretty crazy wild kids. I don't think we wore shoes until school time. <laughs> We played outdoors 24-7. We didn't really have a TV. I mean, there maybe was one station on the TV. So we didn't watch TV a lot. And mom and dad had a record player. Uh, of course, they had different choices of music. So if mom was there, then it was one type. We loved ABBA. <laughs> yeah. You could see that about Jane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then my dad, John, loved, of course, country, old country. He loved Chris Christopherson, uh, Johnny Cash, The Outlaws, of course, Merle Haggard. And, and so all those songs, I mean, that's what we grew up with, sitting around the kitchen table. Neighbors, we always, that's what I found always about the piece and still today, is that we are very neighborly. So people will come from miles around to visit around a table with a cup of coffee or a drink. Yep. And they would talk weather, they would talk politics, they would talk farming, and they still do that today. And I mean, they did it 40 years ago, and they will do it 80 years ago, and they'll do it another 80 years from now. Yeah. So the kitchen table was the life of the home. And I found that in every house in the piece, that's sort of how it works. The neighbors would always gather around a table. And there was quite a few neighbors there in Menno Simons. We went to a little school that had three classrooms in each grade. So like there would be three grades in one classroom. Yep. Yeah. I went there until the end of grade five. So you got to transition? Transition. Like like from one classroom to another while you were there? Yes, I did. And I was sort of sad I didn't get to do the next transition. Yeah. But my teacher, when I left at the end of grade five, is still my favorite teacher today. 
She was a true artist when it came to making things come alive for you. So Carol Wookie was also my dance teacher, my mom's best friend, and she was my grade four or five teacher. And she was probably the hardest teacher I'd ever had. I have never had my hands swatted so many times with a stick. <laughs> but on the other hand, I have never worked so hard to try to please a teacher. And she made things come alive. She gave me my love of books, which I'd already read everything in the library. By the time I finished grade five there, I'm pretty sure. But she could read a book and do every voice. The Hobbit is the yeah. thing that sticks in yeah. my mind the most. And then yeah. when I seen the movie, I didn't want to see the movie because I was scared it would disappoint me because it was not Carol. Yeah. yeah. And Gollum was her. I, I actually on the Christmas letter to her, I told her how much <laughs> she actually made Gollum come alive because that was who it was. It was amazing. She let us bring the pond into the classroom for science. We had kiddie pools set up and we would go out to the sloughs and the dugouts and bring all the stuff in. And we had frogs in there all the time. <laughs> Man, your school sounds like a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and because you were learning each year, you were learning what the grade sixers were when you were in grade four, but you know, it's, so it just rotated around. So when we moved, it was difficult the first time because there's a set curriculum. They didn't have three grades in the classroom. So we were learning things. I think the first year that I had already learned two years before. Yeah. So school was a little boring after that. <laughs> yeah. I remember when we lived in 101 that we, well, at least my, my older brother and sister, Travis and Lisa, and I attended that school there in 101 for a bit. And it was a two-room schoolhouse that had K through four. And then in the other room was five through eight. And I remember, yeah, the being there in kindergarten in grade one and listening to the teacher teach the grade three students and the grade two students. It was quite different than when we moved to Grand Prairie. And where instead of having three grades in one classroom, you have three classrooms for one grade. Great. Yeah, it was, it's daunting. Yeah, yeah. And it's a little boring because even if you're younger, you're still learning and picking up the things above you. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. When we moved with dad, we didn't live at the farm full time at the ranch. There was no way to get to school. So we lived during school year just outside of Charlie Lake the first year. And so we went to Charlie Lake school, which was an adjustment. It was, yeah, they had like two classrooms per grade so it was it was a lot bigger we probably would have preferred to stay at the ranch what kids want and what parents know we need are two different things as kids would never want to leave the ranch um, yeah but I think dad knew that he was not disciplined enough or us to do homeschooling yet <laughs> and we probably wouldn't have done it we I mean we were literally getting wilder every year that we went to the ranch <laughs> left very much up to our own devices a lot. And as adults, we gather a lot and wonder how we actually lived and made it through. Because we did things that as an adult, we would never think about doing. Even as a 20-year-old, I don't think we would have thought about doing some of those things. Yeah, We did the shingle roof on the cabin. And I couldn't tell you what degree that slope is on the cabin, but it was almost a 12-12, if I remember. It was pretty steep. It was very steep. And we would do it in the wind with no tie-offs. We would just climb up on the roof and dad would be off haying for a couple of days over at Shiloh. And that was our job was to, to roof. I mean, we've probably fallen off a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Are you afraid of heights now? I am. I am afraid of heights. Yeah. I mean, I remember even just being on my childhood home outside of Grand Prairie. If I was not on the tin side, which was really shallow, if I was on the other side, it was terrifying because you never know. It looks so scary. Even 20 foot drop or so, it's a pretty big drop. It's a long drop and literally there's no one out there. Yeah. I mean, the one time we probably thought we needed an ambulance. Of course, dad was not at the farm. The Gannons were over and they had actually bought a quad. And dad, we have never owned a quad never owned a skidoo so you know and they would always come with their horses and and we would always go on horse trips but they brought two quads this one summer and the gannons and dad went quadding so that left us kids at home so we were going to go horse riding so my horse bit jesse jesse must have been eight or nine maybe bit her so bad 
or right on the arm, we were cinching her up and she just reached around and it wasn't even Jesse cinching her up. It was Joe or me. <laughs> My mare grabbed Jesse by the arm and just lifted her and shook her. Oh, holy cow. And the fable is, I don't know, but as a kid, we always thought horses wouldn't let go until they touched teeth, teeth to teeth. And so she wouldn't get low, let go. We finally got her to let go. And like Jesse's arm was instantly black. And we thought for sure she broke her arm. And so we went looking for dad. So we borrowed dad's truck and we're driving around all the back logging roads, looking for them on their quads. And dad said he could see us girls flying in. Like we were doing almost a hundred when we pulled through. And we got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and her arm ended up being fine, but she still remembers Firefly biting her until we thought her arm was broken. Oh, man. But, I mean, we borrowed the truck several times when Dad would be gone. And the one time we thought we got away with it until it was muddy and we slid off. The little creek that ran behind the cabin had a little culvert. Yep. Yes. Um, and so that's our swimming pool creek. We dug it out all the time with shovels and then it was clay mud and we would make like a clay pool. And that's where we would hang out all summer until it got too warm and there was no water, but there was a little culvert there. And so the truck in the mud slid off and the back tire caught that culvert. And then we couldn't get the truck out of the culvert. And so we finally figured it out, got it jacked out. Like, so we're, we're 12 and 10 and seven and we're <laughs> jacking the truck with. Yeah. And, and dad always told us those jacks were dangerous, but of course we never listened, but we got it out of there and got the truck back. But it's like, he couldn't see that we had done what we had done when he got there and the mud tracks are all there. And of course we had cut up the inside of the tire on that culvert. So we had a flat tire, Yeah, <laughs> but but I mean, life on the Gundy was weather extreme all the time. So you've been there when it's rained yes. and you've got to get out or you're not getting out. Yeah. And then farming on the Shiloh side, that was even funner over the ridge and down the valley. So Shiloh, if you heard my mom, Jane, talk, she talked about Shiloh. So that's an extreme road there. And as soon as the rain would come, it was like you instantly had to get out as soon as you seen rain clouds or you weren't getting out of that valley. So, I mean, we've always grown up sort of by the seat of our pants because you couldn't just plan. You're just going to town for the day or you're going out to the field or you're going to church. It was very weather dependent, whatever you decided to do there. Yeah, I think I only remember going to the Shiloh, like over the ridge to Shiloh once. And yeah, we drove over like two planks of wood as the bridge because it had washed out yeah one side <laughs> of the bridge is washed out and it's just like planks there the width of the tire yeah. the vehicle and that's what yeah it was terrifying the width of the tires it is terrifying and and then of course we're all piled in the back of the truck <laughs> yeah it, in our theory it was probably so if if you went over you could jump clear i don't know we always rode in the back <laughs> of the truck it wasn't illegal back then. Well, it probably was illegal. It's not just out there. No one notices or cares. Yeah. I mean, when you're that remote, that far out from a main highway and there's no neighbors. I mean, we had one neighbor that lived down the road and then they, they sold out and they moved a couple of years later and there was no one there. And then Shiloh, they had that one family that was sort of babysitting the property, but otherwise there was no neighbors. Like we consider neighbors kits down at mile 87. Yeah. And I mean, we, we're at 121, That's a, <laughs> you know, like a 50 mile neighbor, but that's how it is up there. Yeah. What was it like when you got into like high school or, you know, like a little bit more uh, teenage, like living at the Gandhi? Well, I didn't, I lived with my mom until grade 10. So I, I only lived with dad uh, for the grade six year. And then I stayed with my mom for seven, eight, and nine. And then at 10, I moved with dad, but dad's girlfriend, Pat, lived just outside of Charlie Lake, and uh, she was a teacher at Charlie Lake. So I went to school in town at North Peace Secondary School at Fort St. John. And it, I mean, it was different because my mom had just moved to Calgary, and I had tried to live in Calgary with my mom. But going from a 300 max 
junior high, high school into like Diefenbaker, where we have like a thousand in each grade. I, it was not my thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I always thought that, you know, that's sort of what it would be like going to college or university and you're going into, yeah, you're doing like English class with 500 others and you've got four screens on the TV and your professor's up there and you can see everything. But that's what it was like for grade 10. So it was a little, I just didn't care for it. So I've moved back to Fort St. John from Calgary. So that was my stint living below the 54th. Uh, and it did not last long. So high school, let me see, it must have been grade 10 or 11 was probably the worst winter I had ever been through for snow. It snowed and snowed and it drifted uh, that one winter. Jesse and Joe were with us. And I remember that we were snowed in for over a week before they could get down our road. And they weren't coming with graders. They came with cats because that's how deep the snow was. The snow was uh, like the banks when they plowed one square path straight down it were probably almost 16 feet deep like they were I'd never seen anything like it and like you see it on tv sometimes or on a facebook post but this was the reality that we had lived with outside of the charlie lake area near montney but we never took the bus because we rode into charlie lake and then took the bus from charlie lake into fort st john so the bus life was really short for us there. Not like at Cleardale, Cleardale, like you get on at like 6.45 in the morning and didn't get off the bus until 8.30. Yeah. So, yeah. And I get car sick. <laughs> so that was like, oh, no. all the way to grade five was car sick every day to and from. <laughs> so high school was, I mean, a little different because uh, I lived in town. So I had moved out. Um, just after I turned 16 and got my own apartment and I lived in town finishing high school. So I didn't go to the ranch as much. If I went up to the ranch, it was on my pleasure time. Like that was me going to see my dad or help out. And of course I was always conned into something. It would be like, come out for the weekend. Okay. Come out. Well, it meant coming out and he wanted me to drive a tractor to town because it was stuck in first gear. So I drove and, it, and no brakes and it didn't stop. And if you stopped and got it out of gear, you were never getting it in gear again. So literally P brakes on the side of the Alaska highway was opening the opposite door, trying to steer and hang out over the side to go bathroom. Cause it took nine hours to drive to town. Oh man. Did you drive all the way to Fort St. John or one away? Fort St. John. Oh man. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Like I said, the things that you would end up doing. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, anything with tractors with John was always, always a circus. So when we moved up there, dad drove and James uh, drove two tractors, each pulling a trailer with all the wooden boards from the shop that they had started to build because dad had pre-built a house they were going to build a house they had laid a concrete foundation before my parents split so they had started doing these timber framed walls and they did it in sections so dad took those sections apart and loaded them on the trailer because he was going to build the shop and build the cabin you know he was going to use them there so they're hauling them and it's wet it's slimy going down into that gundy crossing and they you know and that's a steep road on that one not quite as steep as like the Joe road going into the ranch, but this was steep. And then you have to cross a bridge at the bottom and they're all switchbacks. And as a kid, we love the switchbacks, but not when it was raining, uh, especially not with a tractor and a trailer. And James was like, I'm not doing it. You can't make me. He refused. And dad got really upset, but dad went down the hill. And of course he slid and jackknifed. Lucky he did not die. And so James was like, see, I told you. (laughs) (laughs) So we let them stay there for the day until it solid up enough. And then we could go and bring them in the next day. Cause, but I mean, the mud has probably always been the thing that we fought the most up at the Dumbo ranch. Cause the mud is something that was, yeah, ruled your life and it ruled what you were doing. 
some of the best stories are probably in the mud, of course. And now I still love to mud drive. And of course, no one thinks that we should do that as girls, but we love to do mudding. And going to the ranch still every time makes you feel just like a kid again. As soon as you cross that road or off the highway, yeah. you know, you're home. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And of course, we did have the best valley in the north. Yeah, it's quite beautiful there. Nice sunsets. What transition led you from, you know, this sort of like when you were transitioning out of high school and transitioning from spending time between parents to sort of making your, your own life? Oh, I don't think I ever really wanted to live anywhere else. I've always wanted to visit places, but the peace is home. And whether it's on the north or the south side of the peace, it's because the people are the same. I mean, the country is very varied and very different from the flat grain lands into the ranch lands and then mountainous. And so, I mean, I've lived in Fort Nelson and you could never beat a summer there, but I was never doing another winter there. (laughs) (laughs) But from Fort Nelson, like you, you can, so of course um, I worked up there for my dad and then I ended up moving up there and living there two years and then nothing could beat a summer there. There is dugout pits all along the highway from when they were building the Alaska highway. And some of them are converted into fish stock ponds, summer where we would go swimming all the time. And then you've got the river, you've got the mountains, beautiful hiking spots. I mean, literally a half hour, any direction you were doing something different. And it was an amazing, and it's really humid in the summers up there. So it was, except for the bugs, the bugs are bad, but they're not as bad when you're 20, then, you know, they don't bother you as much, but yeah, it was a beautiful, fun summers to live live up there, but then it's too small. What career was I going to do there? I knew I wanted to go to school sometime, didn't um, see that as an opportunity there. And so moved back down to Fort St. John. And then went straight to Grand Prairie. I didn't even really stop in Fort St. John. Um, My best friend from going to junior high from Fairview was living in Grand Prairie. And I had a couple friends from Grand Prairie living there or from Fort St. John living there. So I thought I would try living in the big city. (laughs) Yeah. And, And then I was there for 16 years. So Grand Prairie was a little daunting. Where do you start Uh, looking for work? You didn't know anyone, no connections. I had worked a golf course during high school, during the summers, well, starting from April right until October. And I really enjoyed that. I really, I liked the outdoors. That's a way that you could do it. And so I really liked mowing. It's a lot like farming, precise lines <laughs> the equipment yeah. it's just a yeah. lot smaller the stress level um, is yeah. lower too yeah yeah weather dependent so i really enjoyed that and then so when i went to grand prairie i worked restaurants at night uh i don't worked restaurants i mean that's the key thing is getting through as a teenager into your 20s is usually the restaurants and then i did the golf course usually start at 5 a.m and did about one and then I would go home and nap for a couple hours and then go to work at a restaurant. So that was pretty much my life for the first little bit there. Yeah. What kind of restaurant was it at first that you were working at? Uh, the first one actually was Humpty's. Oh, yeah, yeah. First off, that's where I drank coffee. So where else would I want to work? I already knew all <laughs> the people. And I mean, working in little little truck stops does not quite ideal you for the bigger restaurants in Grand Prairie or the chains. So that was a transition. So yeah, I worked Humpty's for the first bit when I moved there. And then Jolene got a job at the keg. And I'm too bashful. I, I'm pretty quiet and shy. And she's really outgoing. So I got her a job at the golf course. And then she got me a job at the keg. <laughs> So I started out as a host at the keg. She was cocktailing. And then we worked at the golf course together and we were roommates. So we were busy all the time and we were always gone, but we were usually at the same places. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Preston got me a job once. He was working construction and he was going back to high school and I was coming to need the job and project managers who were going to hire me asked Preston's reference for me as a reference. They're like, so... 
There's Preston. He's a pretty good worker. What about his older brother, Garrett? And the, the reference was like, it was Rob Bloom, actually. He's like, well, he's taller. And that was basically <laughs> it. <laughs> it's like, basically the same, just taller. Basically the same. Well, usually, I find siblings always usually have pretty much the same work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. Usually cut from the same cloth. Cut from the same cloth. And us, we would have all gotten our butts whooped if one of us didn't do something. So you all have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Or if one person doesn't do it, then everyone suffers the same consequence. And so you get beat up or get lost side eye. (laughs) Oh, well, and siblings are usually meaner. So we used to always get whoopings. We we were pretty, like I said, wild. (laughs) So we got a lot of them. And we would be like, we didn't do it. And they would be like, one of you did it. One of you lied about it. And the other one thought about it. So between (laughs) the three of you, you are all guilty. So all three of us always got it. Yeah. I think an advantage of siblings is they don't let you get away with crap. Nope. You know, all the siblings keep all the other siblings honest for the most part. It rules out any, any sort of like, narcissism pretty fast (laughs) don't you wish us adults in the life could exist like that (laughs) yeah everybody keeping everyone else honest because you don't want to disappoint them or something yeah you're sort of in it together yeah i mean we're still in it together us sisters always hanging out is some of our funnest things that we like to do we still scrap we will still have disagreements about memories because it is amazing and psychologically, when you think about that, it's it's amazing because we all have the same memory, but all from three different angles. So, you know, they're always altered memories versus like a, a story Jesse would say is different than mine and then different than Joe's or different than James's. I do miss that we didn't get to hear those memories from Kim. Yeah. Because especially as we become adults and we have children and our children are growing, there's so many things that, like in James and I don't talk very often. He's down in Mountain View and he's a busy man. He's always got something on the go. So, but when we talk, we talk for hours and we can just talk about anything. And it's the same with us siblings when we're together. We can fight and we'll have memories and we make new memories all the time. And so the ranch is still a very active part of our life. So going to the ranch for the barn dance every year is the happiest memories every year. As soon as I yeah clear that valley and I see it, yeah, you just know you're home. Everything, all your stress leaves. You're just happy to be there and just happy to have a non-life moment. You can just enjoy and be in that second because that's what it feels like when we were kids. And that's those memories that always come up when I go to the ranch. It's all of those memories of all the hard work. Because it was a lot of hard work. But like I said, the best memories of skinny dipping in the creek every day. I mean, it was not a warm creek. <laughs> nope. There was no reason us kids should have been down there by ourselves or down there without a gun. The wolves and the bears there are atrocious <laughs> and I just think about all the times yeah because I mean we lived we roamed wild for years in amongst nature I mean we'd wake up in the morning and moose would be grazing with the cows in the field that's what we grew up with logging horse logging on the hill and bringing the logs down to build the cabin and work on the shop and I don't know, peeling, peeling the bark off the burnt trees was probably the funnest thing I did, you know, that year. I hated it doing it, but it was also the, one of the funnest memories, especially when that cabin went up and you got to see your hard work. Yeah, there is really something to be said about the feeling of looking back on something completed after a lot of hard work. It's really satisfying. Feel like you created something or feel like you've really beaten nature to, to put it there. Hard to go back. Beaten. It's different. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you were saying, like there's lots. Well, you know, bad the weather, the the rain, all of it, and then you you build this like, I mean, you could say you build this edifice, even though it's just a small 
relatively small log house, but you know, once you're inside and you've got the heat on, it's it's cozy and it's nice. And I mean, it was big to us as kids. I mean, we lived in that little 12-foot scamper trailer while we were building it. There was five of us in there at a time sometimes. <laughs> the 24 by 24 cabin felt pretty, pretty, pretty much like a mansion. Yeah. And it had a loft. Yeah. But I mean, that first year was probably the hardest and the scariest. Dad worked out quite a bit trying to, you know, make money so we could clear land and build and so, I mean, that first summer, James and us girls lived there and we had that little scamper up on the hill. We had pulled in a little log cabin that we had made. Uh, it's an old bunkhouse from a farm in Cleardale. But we had chickens in there. We brought chickens. Well, let me tell you, grizzlies have never seen chickens before. Chickens that do not fly. So we had every bear there that you can imagine, like and they loved them. They thought they were the funnest things. And I remember as a kid, like being terrified, but now as an adult, some of it's sort of funny, even though it was still scary. Some of it's funny because a bear would almost laugh. Like you could hear their humor of finding <laughs> this little critter that can't get away from them. <laughs> and then of course, we're supposed to protect protect them <laughs> they were all gone within weeks like there was like what do you do when there's like four grizzlies chasing chickens around and you're like nope not leaving the camper not leaving the camper not gonna do it sometimes i reflect on the wolves from the pink mountain area that they took down to yellowstone to help with the deer problem and then they got the wolf problem down there like, those are good surviving wolves they survive well and <laughs> Well, the wolves have never really had a problem surviving. <laughs> there was just nothing there to compete with. I think you're right. Looking back, it probably would have been pretty entertaining to have a, a more distant view of watching grizzly bears play with chickens. Oh, it was terrifying. We were pretty terrified, though. I mean, yeah, that was a little bit more wilder for us than we were used to at that point yet. Of course, it only just got wilder and uh, we became more accustomed to it. You start blending in. Matching the wildness. Yeah. Mud baths, wild children. We didn't have running water. We didn't have electricity. Yeah. So, I mean, we had the wood stove in the cabin when we got the cabin up. And then we ran propane for the stove. We didn't get a fridge until after I was an adult. So, I mean, we had one little propane lamp above the door. And then we converted it to solar panel energy down the road. But we didn't waste a lot of it because, I mean, we didn't know the next time we were going to town for propane. So, I mean, the stove, we we cooked a lot outside. But, I mean, we could cook as a kid anything in a cast iron pot. We made bread all the time in the cast irons on the stove. Of course, our diet was pretty starch heavy. We didn't have a fridge or a freezer. So a lot of canned meat. And a garden was a little hard to grow up there, but dad finally, and dad really enjoyed gardening once he got a bit older, because his mom was a, an amazing gardener. But I mean, milk, even milk, we had to buy in the little one liter cartons that were... That had long shelf life. Oh, yeah. Long shelf life. We ate a lot of canned goods, but I mean, we always had a lot of fresh deer. Not that people knew it. The amount of season, right? <laughs> in season somewhere maybe not there <laughs> just another cow well you never ate cows those were worth money no that's what i mean so somebody came over not a deer it's a cow but i mean we ate a lot of wild meat as a kid even uh in clairdale we ate a ton a lot of moose and deer i don't hardly remember eating a lot of beef as a kid because i mean that was where your money was and that's what you know you would sell for money yeah but I remember at that kitchen table where all the neighbors would gather around. Yeah, neighbors would gather around when you brought a moose home and there is a moose on the table in the kitchen. And mom and dad could butcher like nothing. And I was too young to learn much about it. So as an adult trying to learn it, I am a little bit more queasy about it. I, I'd rather shoot an animal with my camera <laughs> yeah. than with the gun. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'll still shoot coyotes because coyotes need shot. But that's because I still have cows. But yeah, I'm not the big hunter. But I don't remember eating beef yeah, until I was much older. But some of the best hunting trips, we never fired a shot. 
but it was amazing when you got to go hunting with dad because he usually didn't have the patience for us because we talked too much. Three girls. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, some of the best trips were dad would take one of us at a time. And it was great one on t- one time with him. And I mean, it could be pouring rain and never get a shot. He probably thought it was the worst trip ever. And then it was my favorite just riding in the rain and chatting or just enjoying the silence and the views riding on the cut lines. Yeah. I remember him complaining about his glasses and his scope. He's saying something about he'd go hunting and he have his glasses on and he couldn't see something and he'd take his glasses off and he couldn't see something else. <laughs> he disliked the getting older and needing the glasses. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Were they reading glasses? Yeah, they were reading glasses. Yeah. But, um, and that's probably some of my favorite memories of dad is like sitting at the wood stove in his chair and he would always put his wool socks on that front little piece on the wood stove, like on the damper. And he would sit there and he would read. And so dad loved to read and he read most winters. So, I mean, he has, he actually one winter got almost all the way through the dictionary the encyclopedia set yeah he read i think up to p in the encyclopedia set (laughs) yeah he taught himself how to play guitar when he was about 57 just before he passed you didn't know that garrett did you i did not know that i do remember playing or like i do remember learning some guitar with him he was trying to teach me different chords and that's my first experience on learning the guitar and i remember him like teaching me how to hold it. And I think looking back, like he would use his thumb to get like a G chord. Yep. And thinking about how I play the guitar now, my fingers are long enough that I don't use my thumb to push the top string. Yeah. So I maybe, was he self-taught then and teaching himself the guitar? Yep. Self-taught and (laughs) he had broken every knuckle and finger so many times that some of his fingers didn't move right. So he had to make his own way that would work for certain chords like the g chord yeah okay that makes so much more sense because when i started learning the guitar for myself much later like when i was in high school i remembered the g chord and how maybe i'd put my thumb there yeah but it would just felt like such an unnatural position but it makes sense now oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) i remember when i went up one time and he was playing me brian adams i was blown away (laughs) i was like what just because like he has always loved music, but he had never had, he'd bought a, a fiddle once, traded that for a banjo. Um, my dad loved to horse trade. So as kids, we lived on a barter system. Like we would trade things all the time. Um, so yeah, he had a fiddle, traded it for a banjo, never learned the banjo. And then one day I, we went up to the ranch. I was, in, I was 20 and he, he played guitar. And that's what he did, learned, taught himself that winter was play guitar. Of course, his wife, Donna, at the time, Donna is very musically inclined. And so she, she probably helped him assist him because if you know anything, most of us Missourvis are tone deaf, um, like couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. (laughs) (laughs) And we all love music and we all love to sing. You just can't handle hearing us do it, but. Um, yeah, so up there, it was pretty remote, but we would spend our time reading a lot, especially in the winter. I mean, it was dark early and cards, cards and board games. We played a lot of cards. And I mean, and and coming from the States, I think that and we played a lot of cards that were different than Canadians played. So Pinochle, we played all the time. That was something that was just something that we played and no one heard of it up here we couldn't play pinochle with anyone because no one knew how to play it they played canasta or they played rummy or poker we learned poker pretty young too (laughs) lots of different kinds of poker lots of different kinds of poker but i mean pinochle is still our favorite thing to play when we're together and of course we can't play with other people no one knows pinochle so we have to wait till the siblings get together before we can play pinochle or with with grandma jane Yeah, I definitely remember a lot of card games, too, up in the cabin. Lots of time spending playing with cards, learning how to shuffle. We were shuffle pros. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, learn how to do the bridge. Do the bridge back, yeah. Yeah, but it was when I was younger. Looking back on it now, I could never get the bridge. It's very easy for me now, but looking back, it was probably because I just didn't have the dexterity yet developed in my hands to get the the shape, or my hands were too small because I was a child. Well, a small and not strong enough to do it. But of course, like you can't tell anyone they can't do something. Yeah. No. Actually, and that's probably yeah. That's probably one thing that we gained is do not ever tell a Missouri they can't do something because that means we're doing it. <laughs> it, it and <laughs> probably our spouses can take advantage of that because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the the thing is like as soon as you tell us we can't do something, we're like, oh really? We can do whatever we want. Yep. Uh, and I mean, and we still do that as adults. So. I mean, I ran restaurants probably for about 15 years. So at the keg, I started, of course, yeah, as a hostess. And then I moved up into cocktailing and serving. And then I moved into bar manager and then into operations manager uh, with the owner as the general manager there. So I ran that until 2009. And then I got an opportunity to open my own restaurant with some partners and be the operating manager to be the general manager. So we opened Rick's Grill in 2010. So of course, not very many women were running restaurants. Actually at the keg, I remember going to general managers conferences and there was three of us in 120 stores that were females. Wow. So even though it's heavily female-based stores, like uh, restaurants are very female-based, usually for servers and hosts and but it's still a, a man run business. So that was interesting. And so that's what I did was I run Rick's Grill for a few years. Of course, time moves and time changes. And then we, I ran another restaurant called Township 71. But of course, um, the oilfield market had dropped out then. And I had just finished a second reno within five years. So our debt load for me and my partner were too high. And we decided before things got worse, where we knew it was going to go with the oil field going the way it was in Grand Prairie. Um, So we decided to close down. So at that point, I didn't know what I was going to do. I went back to school, um, started my Bachelor of Arts um, Psychology. So I finished my first semester. I started my first semester and my sister Joe called me. And they had just really gotten her and her husband, Hugh, had gotten really heavy into Angus cows. I mean, they'd always had some, but they really went full out. They bought 750 cows. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they go from 50 to 750 within, I think, a year and a half. So she would be like, oh, we're processing cows today. Could you come help? I was like, yeah, but... Joe, you know how long it's been since I've done that? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, it's easy. Okay. So what started out as like going to school full time from home, uh, because I did it all online. And then just going out once in a blue moon, it was going out two days a week, three days a week, five days a week. (laughs) So next thing (laughs) you know, my school had dropped off and I was full time working at the farm for Joe and Hugh farming. And I I was never the farmer as kids. Like I was the housekeeper. I cooked and I cleaned and I did, you know, the chores for us. I was not, Jolene was the farmer. Jolene was the rancher. I don't even really remember driving a tractor too much as a kid. I remember driving the truck, you know, but I, yeah, I was not the farm kid. Even though we were wild, I was not the farm kid. So it's not until in my forties now that I have really sort of brought back my childhood and yeah, my partner, Mark and I, we, we ranch and, and I, it's almost like a back to childhood. And sometimes I I catch myself doing dad things all the time or mom things. (laughs) Be careful. Be a little careful about the dad things there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you definitely, we, we have the traits <laughs> of our parents as much as we always say as a, a, a child or a teenager that we will never be like them. Yep. And then when you start to have kids like Garrett, I'm pretty sure you probably caught yourself saying something that your mom or dad used to say. Yep. Yep. yep I have. Yeah. And so 
and and us siblings when we're together we'll be like oh that was such a jane comment (laughs) 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 just how we say something i mean us three girls are still all living in this area we've never really gone too far and i think if we could get james and debbie to drink more from the peace maybe they'll stay because they always say once you drink from the peace you'll never leave I can swear by that because I never go too far from it. I mean, even at Elmworth, I'm still not that far from the peace in any direction. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have to bring him down a bucket of water, not tell him what it is. We'll trade. Best water you've ever had. (laughs) I'll trade for... Trade for some mozzarella. Uh Uh-huh. That would always be amazing. So, Emma, how do you feel that living in the peace has influenced your outlook on life? So I know it's sort of a big question, and I know that the places that we grow up and the spaces that we live in influence how we see things, but do you have any feelings on how the peace country has influenced you? Well, I think that we always have a can-do attitude. I mean, especially in the rural areas, we take care of each other because we have to depend on each other. Yeah. It's a lot different than in the cities. You might not know all your neighbors in your apartment. Yeah let alone everyone on your block. And out here, I I may not know a neighbor because I mean, especially since, I mean, as a kid, the farm was a full quarter. It wasn't very often someone had an acreage. So as time has progressed and changed, so the farms, you know, now instead of someone on each quarter, now one farmer may own six quarters and they've turned uh, the original farmsteads into acreages. So you may not know all your neighbors just because um, people still work in town or they work from home. You don't get to see everyone in the community basis, especially with COVID. It's altered some things, but we're always the first ones there when someone needs a hand and you're always the first one to line up when someone is in trouble and they have to depend on you. We had a fantastic neighbor here who was diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer and he was the breadwinner of the family and he'd already been in the hospital six months before they found out what was going on. So everyone gathered around and we did, even in the middle of COVID, we did a Facebook auction and we raised just in our little community, word got around. And I mean, we raised $47,000 to help them with their mortgages and their bills and to take care of them so that they could actually just work on trying to take care of him. But that's what we do out here. You, these people may have, some people have never met them and doesn't matter. You take care of your own out here. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that's the same all through all the piece. Of course, social media makes the world a little bit bigger. But on the other hand, sometimes I think it makes it a little bit smaller too. The piece are usually fairly open-minded, even though we are rednecks, don't get me wrong. <laughs> we all came from someplace else though whether the original homesteaders back in early 1910, when they were bringing in the railroad through the years, everyone came from somewhere else, putting the Alaska Highway in. People were from all over the States going up there. So, I mean, especially European countries, we had a lot of, a lot of our ancestors here from European countries or from the States. In fact, there's probably a lot of draft dodgers around because, I mean, we're pretty remote. But I mean, we have every make and bottle of life living here. And, and I think because we have to depend on each other, I think that we are a lot more open than maybe some er- other areas that are, are rural or as isolated. I mean, like I said, we could be real big rednecks, but we're usually really open and wanting to to greet people in. The last few years, it's been a little harder. COVID has made things tougher. We don't meet with our elderly like we used to all the time. We can't gather. Yeah. So potlucks, of course, are the staple of any rural area. If you could have a potluck dinner somewhere, you know everyone's coming. Yes. Our little our little community halls out here. The community halls and the schools used to be the blood life of every area. As a kid. Some of my greatest memories of the Clearedale School are still, we used to hold, I don't even know the names of what we would do, but instead of everyone going trick-or-treating door-to-door, they hosted the hugest Halloween party there and everyone came there. And then 
all the people would hand out candy there. Cause I mean, you would literally drive for miles and miles to go to your neighbors to get candy. That's one neighbor. Like, yeah. <laughs> it just, so we used to always gather at the school and then do the parades there and, you know, win best costume, do uh, bobbing for apples in haunted houses. And so we had a very creative school, very theatrical based. And I think that had a lot to do with Carol Wookie. We did a lot of musical theater in school and always put on performances. So the, the school was definitely the lifeblood. And then when we moved up the highway in that we didn't really have a hall or anything up there. There was no neighbors, but we spent a lot of time with Pat's family in Upper Cash and they had a hall. And that was like the highlight was going to the hall dances and getting to see all the people and you could greet and everyone would talk and hang out. So I think that's probably why it's probably been like COVID has been very hard on the rural areas is it's taken away their sense of communities. Yeah. But hopefully it's coming back. I mean, they still gathered at the kitchen tables. You couldn't stop them if you tried. That's true. (laughs) That's true. It is something else. When you take that step back from the hard manual labor that you're doing and just sit with friends and chat or have a good time and you really get to like take your boots off and rest, it's a lot different than standing up from your Zoom meeting and going to your living room to watch Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) I spent a lot. Yeah. I I spend a lot of time with the screen and it's not ideal. No. Yeah. It's so much better to be there in person. And I mean, being in Toronto, it's, it's been hard too, right? It's just different kind of hard because it's not, it's not as much of, um, I mean, I want to be with people. I do. It's, it's great, but it's most of the time I feel like I'm fighting, trying to avoid people. And that's, (laughs) it's a bit more stressful that way. (laughs) It's like when I have to go into Grand Prairie now. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> traffic, traffic. Yeah. I, like tra- I mean, my idea of traffic out here is the 40 deer camped on the road that don't want to move when you want to drive somewhere. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's definitely different living in bigger cities, big metro areas. It's going to share everything with everybody. So we're coming close to the end of our time here. Are there any other questions that? you want to ask Preston or any other final thoughts you want to share? Emma? I don't have any final thoughts or questions. I really enjoyed the stories that I've never heard before. Me too. Me too. Thanks, Emma. Oh, you're welcome. We all have stories. <laughs> People's stories are great. Everybody has a story. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed coming on and talking to you guys about some stories. And of course, if you ask my sisters, they're probably the same stories, but just different. <laughs> Jesse definitely told us the one where James didn't want to drive the tractor down the hill and your dad got it stuck. Ah. She told that one, but it's a slightly different perspective. So it was great to hear it. Well, might have to ask Jolene about that too when we get her on. And I, and I bet she'll remember it and it'll be a little bit different too. Yep. We'll have to subtly ask it so it's not to spoil the memory. <laughs> yeah. You might have to ask her about why she was called Crash. Oh, I'll make a note of that then. <laughs> Yeah, Emma, we can't thank you enough for the time that you've spent with us here sharing your stories. We really appreciate it. Well, I've really enjoyed sharing them with you. Thank you for listening. If you want to email us feedback, ask us questions, or write in a story for us to share, you can email us at lifenorthofthe54th at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, love to hear your stories. We'd love to have you on with us. So, Emma, thank you. Thanks for taking this time, and thank you so much for, I guess, being family. Literally being family, but, you know, being family to so many others, too. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. We'll see you around. Take care, Emma. Okay. Bye.